thank you all for coming. This session is on databases. It's on migrating your music-related website from MySQL to Postgres. So we have some... Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. I, wrong conference. Um, no, this is the Towards a Credits, Rights, and Terms of Licensing Database. This is a topic I'm sure a lot of you have really a deep vested interest in because it's this is information that, that often gets passed around by word of mouth, often gets, gets parked on websites, locked away in contracts, locked away in silos. And what we have on, on this panel today are people who have been, I think, fighting the good fight when it comes to looking at how do we remake the music industry from kind of the bottoms up remake it when it comes to the management of metadata, metadata that has to do with, you know, who, what are the releases that an artist puts out, what are, the, what are the albums, but also metadata about who actually contributed to this song, who actually has the writing credit on that, and, and a lot of it's built by fans, but a lot of it is starting to more and more start to be populated by the, the labels, the artists themselves, and, and people building tools on top of this. And as many of you know, if you're doing a, a music-related startup, sometimes getting access to these databases or building a database like this represents a barrier to entry. So to talk about it today, first off, I'm Brian Bellendorf. I'm a open technology maven. I've done more in open source software than, than other spaces, but uh, I've actually also been a contributor to the sites of some of the panelists here and was very lucky to have Zoe perform at my wedding, so I really love her. Let me, let me introduce the rest of the panel. Robert Kay, to my immediate left, is the founder and lead geek at Music Brains which he'll tell you more about. Zoe is a cellist, an artist who's worked largely outside of the music industry, but really remade her own kind of music industry in an interesting way. And you can hear her music in every episode of Elementary. It's apparently the music that Holmes is, when he's thinking hard, he, yeah. uh, he hears in the background. Okay, <laughs> he'll tell us more. David King, to her left, is the former product lead for Content ID and Licensing at YouTube, which just was a, a remarkable story about turning a, a set of relationships that were incredibly adversarial into a really interesting partnership. To his left is Kevin Lewandowski, founder and CEO of Discogs, which has helped me move about 500 CDs off of my shelves into the, the hands of other fans, so thank you. Anyways, so I'd like to actually kick this off with some introduction and comments from Zoe to kind of give us kind of the voice of the artist in this discussion. Uh, well, speaking as the token artist, I'm going to talk about just briefly like a few of the issues that I have in this world. And one of the issues is that I want my music to be out there. I want people to hear it, but I also don't necessarily want it to be totally free. I'd like to get something in return. And so in the case of, for example, small like web rights, the administrative overhead for me to interact with each person wanting to use my music for something is kind of difficult. <laughs> and I've started using like YouTube in a way for people to say like, listen, just put my music in your video and just put me in the metadata so that then YouTube's content ID can find it. <laughs> but then, I don't know, it's just kind of, I feel so powerless, like that I don't have the ability to set my own rates. So in my own perfect world, I would love it if I could, you know, set my own statutory rates, if I could have the ability to say, I don't want to give blanket rates to, or blanket licensing to the internet. I want to be able to say yes or no for certain kinds of things. I don't know. It's, maybe you should have me talk last because it's so complicated. <laughs> I don't even know where to start. <laughs> and and I, I think I think what's interesting is that you have been able to set the terms of, of yeah. your music so much more easily right. than I think most artists do as they yeah. as they've worked their way up their career. I'd, I'd like yeah. I do all my own licensing, for example. Like like I interact directly with CBS to do my licensing with them. And and yeah. recently you've <laughs> you've called to task some of the some mm -hmm. of the organizations out there for the lack of transparency mm -hmm. that you have right. in 
the numbers that go into the the check that you end up with at the end mm-hmm. of the day. Can you just speak about that a little well, bit. Well, for example, it's it's not it's very difficult for me to find out like with Pandora how many times my music was streamed. I had to figure out like, okay, well, what do I think they're paying for the pure pay, play rate? What do I think their administrative overhead is for sound exchange? How do I calculate that? There's other things like if ASCAP, BMI, what have you, there's no way for me to know whether my music is being sampled by ASCAP. I only get checks for international royalties because international royalties are on a one-to-one basis, whereas the ones in the US are not. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so David, you were at YouTube, and actually before that, with was it with Pandora or was it with Rhapsody, with Rhapsody. and OD2? Right. So, tell us more about what you did at yeah. both those organizations, both that helped reflect what this issue is, and then and then part partly how you addressed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, I think the, the the most interesting experience I've had around this was in building out the content ID system for YouTube, and a huge part of what that required was building out a rights database to power that because it wasn't enough just to find the use of music on the site, but we had we had to figure out who we could license it from and and who to pay, and um, and really the, the the amount of effort that it took to to build out this database was you know, hundreds of people, tens of millions of dollars a year in straight up administrative cost in pulling this information together. And so, you know, the, the, the basic challenges were things like, you know, we were, we were going to do a deal with, uh, with a major record label, they would send over their catalog. Then we would go do a, a deal with a, a major publisher and we'd say, okay, we need your catalog. But then no one would give us a map between the two. And, and if, we're, if you're doing sync licenses, you really need the complete licensing picture and it needs to be unified around, around the asset itself. So I, you know, my, my hope going forward is that for the next YouTube, for the next DSP out there, that, that the barriers to entry shouldn't be tens of millions of dollars to create these products, but that they're, you know, this is just raw information that, that, that needs to be managed and, that, um, and, and for the music industry to thrive, I, I hope that they'll stop holding back this information and that they'll allow DSPs to, to, to simply know who to call and how to get a license. It, it, it's, it's really kind of bizarre. I mean, if you, if you were thinking of other types of businesses, if you had to go through that sort of effort to buy toothpaste or something, no one would buy toothpaste. Um, so it's, um, you know, that, that's the sort of rationality that I'm, I'm, I'm hoping we can get towards. Okay, thanks. So Kevin, so we've, we've talked about the need for, for databases that, that track this information, but it can seem rather daunting to build something like this. It would seem at least daunting if, it, if there wasn't actually some, some really good examples of this. And I think Discogs is one of these. Can you tell us more about what, what, where Discogs came from and, and kind of uh, how it's grown in, over the last couple of years? Yeah, sure. So I started Discogs as a hobby and it was uh, really created because of a belief that I had that if if I contributed information about my music to this project, then other people would get interested as well. So that that that's turned out to to work over over the course of almost 13 years now, to the point where we've built up a database of almost four million recordings, unique recordings, that's arguably more accurate than some commercial products out there. And what's what's in this database? I mean, it, it, you can just go on and tell us. So, like, how rich is it? It really is. Definitely. I mean, music that goes back, you know, since since the first recorded works, covering all all genres, all styles of music, and credits, wh- track listings, album covers. 
things like that. And why do people contribute to this database? I think b because they they believe in the mission of creating a, a resource that's going to be around for a long time for, for other people to use and enjoy and discover music. And I know I've contributed to it because as I've gone through and ripped my collection and found I had some, you know, obscure ABC, you know, 12 inch or something like that. Well, first off, it was probably already in Discogs, you know, no matter how obscure it was. But in the one in a thousand instances where it wasn't, I had actually an interest in contributing metadata to it because one thing Discogs makes really easy, one of the many things it does is allow me to say, I own this item. And I'll be happy to part with it for $25 or $3 or, or whatever. And it, it facilitates that kind of transaction. And so, you know, I, I'll be happy to go there and type the matrix number and, and the UPC code and other things out of a, partly out of a sense of maybe it'll help me find the right fan who wants to ship it, but also out of sense of, you know, a librarian or archivist kind of gene that, that maybe I inherited somewhere. And that's kind of what drives music brains a little bit too. Could you, uh, Robert, why don't you tell us a bit about where music brains came from? And so, what it is. So Music Brains is uh, similar in some senses to uh, Discogs as well. We have the, very much the same uh, type of metadata. It's organized slightly differently. Our communities work a little bit differently. But interestingly enough, it also really got its start about 13 years ago. Music Brains has a bit earlier history than that. If you may remember the CDDB project from Gracenote, um, actually be pre-Gracenote, uh, there were lots and lots of people that typed in CDs. I probably typed in a couple hundred CDs uh, that I'm actually about to donate to the archive for the CD collection. But I typed in these CDs and uh, was working for Zing Technology, one of the people who was making uh, MPEG software. And uh, one day we got a notification that said, hey, you guys now need to now start paying to use this database. And I said, what the hell? I typed this data in. This is my data. Why should I have to pay for this, right? And uh, you know, then we realized that uh, CDDB had basically been taken private by Greystone. <coughs> and uh, I was pissed off by that. So. Uh, fast forward a couple weeks into the future, I'm at a party and uh, I'm talking to my friend and I'm talking about how I'm angry that uh, Grace Note had done this and how they violated the public trust and so forth. And he just looks at me and he says, oh man, I, I'm just done listening to you. Why don't you just start your own open source version? And he just turns heel and walks off. And I'm standing there dumbfounded and said, um... That's a great idea. And the rest literally is history. So I started this uh, project called the CD Index. It was intentionally to be non-compatible with uh, CDDB because I knew that uh, Gracenote liked to play with lawyers. And uh, there was another project started. Uh, it was called Free CDDB. And uh, guess what? The lawyers came, visited them, and they went to court. And it wasn't over the data, but it was over uh, the, the, the term, the trademark of CDDB. So fast forward, uh, Music Brains, uh, now uh, in 2000, I launched uh, Music Brains out of the ashes of uh, CD Index uh, in the dot-com boom bust uh, scenario. And uh, I sold my Roadster and I started working on this and uh, got pretty much nothing out of it for about five years. And then things started happening. People started using the data. And uh, I realized that the data changes so frequently that uh, there's actual opportunity for me to uh, make some money with this. Not so much money as far as the, like, hey, I'm going to get rich with this, but hey, we can actually pay our paychecks with this, which is fundamentally what needs to happen with just about any endeavor. So we realized that uh, even though that all of the data that we have is factual information, therefore not copyrightable in the United States, um, it changes so frequently. So if somebody wants to actually have access to this data, you could make a commercial license for spoon feeding and uh, giving timely and convenient access to the data. With that realization, I created the MetaBrains Foundation, and uh, that was a 501c3, is a 501c3 nonprofit that is dedicated to running the Music Brains project and keeping it open. 
we offer a service called the Live Data Feed, and this Live Data Feed uh, is, allows people to set up their own copy of Music Brains, uh, complete with the software and everything, and we will spoon feed updates to your server once an hour. So you're never more than about 70 minutes out of date with Music Brains. And uh, that service, anybody in this room can set it up for free, but if you want to use it in a commercial setting, uh, you'll have to come get a license from us. And those license fees are how we actually uh, make ends meet. Um, much like Zoe, I, uh, I practice uh, open finances, so with a little bit of uh, looking around and Googling, you can figure out exactly how much I get paid, or more realistically, how little I get paid. Um, you can also figure out exactly where our money is coming from, where our money is going to. Um, you can download the data, so everything that we do is completely open, front to end, begin, like everything. Everything we do is open, and we really believe in that. Yeah, and and what I think is in, it, you know an interesting analog to to Music Brains is the Wikipedia in the degree that not only is it collaboratively built and it's it's you know uh, this this sense of you know people take ownership over different areas, uh, but it almost is more like open source software where you do have a model for people being able to incorporate that data into the car stereo system where if I put a CD in the car stereo it'll tell me all the metadata or potentially even into a rights database kind of model I could see you know for this given work you know who are the the, what are the writing credits on it? Uh, who should I contact? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, with with that in mind, um, uh, Zoe, have you ever looked at your entry on uh, Music Brains or even on Discogs? And uh, you know, I did just look at it yesterday, <laughs> 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 and uh, and I was like, oh yeah, you're missing a few things in there that I should probably tell you about. <laughs> well, you should actually log in, create yeah. an account, yeah, and uh, yeah. fix it, please. Yeah. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Although interesting on the Wikipedia, I can't edit my own Wikipedia entry. So, I, but there is a model I think here where you could have artists and and labels and others actually participate in the curation and editing mm -hmm. of their content, right? Absolutely, because uh, we're not dealing, unlike uh, Wikipedia, where it's it's a set of opinions or lack of opinions that would describe who Brian is, we're dealing with a set of facts. And, you know, unfortunately, there's still um, some interpretation left uh, in the facts, um, especially we have, we have some quite difficult uh, problems to deal with. Uh, for instance, one of them is an artist intent. Uh, what exactly, how do you spell things, right? Mm -hmm. So if you look at the back of a CD and it's in all caps, did the artist intend for that to be all yeah. caps? Well, probably not, right? The, gra the graphic artist think that all caps looked really cool? Well, maybe it really does look really cool, but that doesn't mean that that's how that should appear in the database, mm -hmm. right? So uh, members of Music Brands and, and Rob sitting there, you know, like vigorously nodding his head, these are oh. difficult problems to solve, right? And we don't necessarily know what it is that the artist actually wanted. So we really, we love it if Zoe could come to us and yeah. actually say, you know, create an account called Zoe Keating and uh, log in and fix your data so that yeah. we know exactly what it is and we encourage all of the artists to come because we don't have this bias problem like it's factual information please tell us how you want it right and if, if an artist comes and tells us how it is then we can just say like this the artist personally came by mm -hmm. and said this is how it should be so I was we love that I was going to say since I since I flubbed my beginning so badly that's that what I, the thing about like from the artist standpoint is that people need to know how to find me since I own all my own copyrights and right now it's like if you it's very confusing for individuals out there and for people who have like small enterprises to know how to find me and find my content mm -hmm. and what the rights are. So it's like, do they look in the ASCAP ACE title database? Like, do they look in like... Well, <laughs> incidentally, um, this happens to us on, on, on a very frequent basis where people say, hey, we would like to license this from you guys and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. we want to use it in this particular context and we just throw up our hands and yeah. say, like, we, we don't really right. know where to send you. Yeah. Like, or, or get or the an case entertainment with, lawyer. With, the, with like a broadcaster, like saying like, 
if they put my data incorrectly on the spreadsheet they send to SoundExchange, and then SoundExchange accidentally gives my royalties to Universal, which is what happened to me. So, but I couldn't go into the database and change my data. I had to submit a form. And there wasn't like any centralized normalization place. So. But David, well, what do you think we should do to, uh, um, from what you've seen in, mm -hmm. in, in kind mm -hmm. of your experience that, that could help address some of this? Yeah, so obviously YouTube has a database that really looks like this. And, and um, um, our, our hope was that we would, uh, would make that a publicly available good and, and, and expose all the, all the information about who the composer is for this song, uh, who the label is, who the publisher is, and, and all the things that, that somebody would need to, to be able to license a piece of music. Uh, and what we found is that because all that information at its source really came from the labels and the publishers, that we had to go back and ask them if we could do this. Uh, and we, we got a pretty resounding no on that. So, um, Why did I, they say no? Yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, they, they didn't really get into their reasons, so... so Did um, they think it would be technically hard to, like, give you uh, details, or was it... Well, no, was I mean, it we already had secret? an interface that, that is consulted by... Uh, by trusted parties to, to, to see that same information. So, so um, the database exists. It's already got all this data in it. It already has interfaces that allow people to see that information, but it's really a matter of who's allowed access to, to consult those interfaces. Um, and um, so, um, but, but they were very clear that this would be a breach of contract and that they would want all their information expunged from that database, which in turn would destroy the effort of, you know, the, 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 the licenses that, that, that power the monetization. But I use that YouTube. database and I would be fine with it being public. It's actually yeah. a really good system. I was skeptical yeah. in the beginning, but now I use it on, a, on like a regular basis to sort of see the videos that are in there, what third party videos are using my music. Right. Do I want to it's if in case for those of you who don't know it, it's like a, a copyright holder. You can upload your music into the system, and then it, and then you can say what uh, what rights you're allowing mm -hmm. on a track by track basis, and then also on a video by video basis if you want to, or mm -hmm. you can set a default for everything. And it's really easy to use. It's really easy to interact with, and then you sort of get a monthly check. Well, I, I yeah. think that the core concern of, of making that truly public and and have making it something that you don't need login credentials for, but you can just search and see it. Um, we, we, it really comes from concern over who's going to control the future of the industry. And, and, and uh, there, there's concern that, this, that there's a lot of power in having this information. Um, you know, I mean, like, as I said in my opening remarks, I just feel like it's, it's bizarre to make it this difficult for somebody to purchase your goods. Um, and, and that's essentially what this database would do is it would make it uh, it would make these works available for purchase from mm -hmm. whoever wanted to, to exploit the works. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, so it's, um, I, I, I think their, their concern over control is overblown. But, but are, there, are there some labels, maybe this is more a question for, for um, Rob and for Kevin, are there some labels or artists who actually have participated in the development of the Discogs or Music Brains database, databases and who um, might be willing to go further and, and share even more of the data that would make a database like this useful? Well, uh, we haven't had any labels or artists um, actively help with the development of the database, but um, th there have been some that contribute the data. Yeah. yeah. But in my experience, it's the, it's the fans that are more concerned with this data, just because Discogs is a resource. It was created by a fan, me, for, for fans, so it, it's been fans that are really driving this. 
It's funny how it's but, fans who care more about the Brazilian 12-inch release of, of some bizarre single than, uh, than the, the artists themselves might care. It goes back to that collector gene, I think. Right. right. But I, I think there is a real difference between the, the data that, that is part of the fan experience, which is you know, who performed this and mm -hmm. um, the more the credits side of this equation. I, I, I think it would it's probably not very common for fans to say, oh, yeah, this is an EMI track with... Sony ATV publishing. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that feels pretty far afield for, for most fans. Well, that's because the, the system in place was just designed to get the money to the copyright owners, <laughs> not mm -hmm. necessarily for fans. Yeah. So not to find out like this trumpet player plays but, but, on this. Yeah. But some, li some labels sound like they are some, uh, working in a, in a slightly different way. Robert, you were telling me about the BBC. Yes, so the BBC is a great example in this particular case. Uh, the BBC has a uh, program on the radio called uh, BBC Introducing. And what they will do is they will play music from unsigned bands, pretty much bands that nobody really knows about. And uh, then that will actually turn up on the uh, BBC Music pages. So if you go to bbc.co.uk slash music, uh, it'll, uh, that play will actually appear on the, on the pages there. And then the artist will go and say, hey, wait a minute, we're not in here. How come our play didn't show up? And the BBC will turn around and say, like, you need to be in Music Brains. And then there's a BBC Music Brains landing page that introduces the artist. So like, this is how you enter the information. So the BBC is doing a really fantastic job of actually feeding us uh, uh, bands and information. And the BBC has actually taken a very active part in uh, on our schema summits. So in uh, 2007, we actually hold up in London for an entire weekend. And uh, you know, what I like to call uh, you know people that are walking edge case generators as far as music is concerned, <laughs> we're all, we'll all all holed up in a room. We had a giant uh, wood floor, and we just pushed pieces of paper around all weekend long. I mean, like to the layperson, this is absolute hell. To us, this was really fantastically great. And uh, we designed a database and the, the schema that we have now that does really insanely stupid things, like. Jethro Toll. His first release is actually credited to Jethro Toe, T-O-E. And there's pictures of this in, on the internet and people insist <laughs> that when they actually tag this stuff and they actually have it appear in their iPod that it actually shows up as Jethro Toe, T-O-E. So our database can actually accurately represent mistakes that, that the music industry has done. <laughs> right? And which is mind-boggling but uh, our fans are so absolutely uh, engaged in this process that they really want to represent all of these mistakes. So, um, and uh, speaking back and going back to the labels, uh, the labels are now starting to engage us and we're trying to start a dialogue and trying to get uh, data fed from them to us. Um, even though we already have most of this data, right? They'll say like, well, you know, we can give you this data. We're like, no, right, guys, we, really, we know that you guys have come up with the release in three weeks because somebody in the studio already leaked the track list. And then they ran and typed it into Discogs. So they typed, typed into their music brains. So you already know what the data is. But what we're really trying to do is we're trying to get uh, cooperation with the labels so the labels will actually participate in the process of getting our music brains identifiers embedded into their music so that uh, these identifiers you know, are, exist right from the get-go. Because right now what's happening is that you've got the last FMs and the Spotify's of the world and anybody that's trying to actually communicate to one another, they have what I call the, the John Williams problem. Namely that it's really hard to pay John Williams. Like, why is that? Well, you've got John Williams, the famous composer, and you've got the guitarist, right? And uh, when Apple sells the stuff, they know exactly what they sold, but they don't necessarily know whom to pay because the reporting uh, end of paying people is so poor that the guitarist doesn't see much money, but the famous composer sees a lot of money. So these are like these, these kinds of problems exist everywhere. So we're really trying to get the labels to participate in this particular process and get the music brains IDs assigned 
designed right from the get-go so that everybody can use these, so that the last FMs of the world of the Spotify can stop doing this metadata matching on text strings and hopefully get to mm -hmm. matching on IDs, which are unambiguous. And, and this, this sounds like a really big point where, where it's not about building one big database, right? Music Brains is a piece of this, Discogs has a piece of this. No doubt there are private sector databases now that, that whether they're opened or not have, have pieces of this. What this is about is kind of a lingua franca, right? Or Absolutely. Some, you know, whether it's Music Brains IDs attached to songs or whatever. So I could be listening to one of Rusty's streams on Soma FM and uh, click, you know, click on it and like it and take it, take me directly to the page on Discogs where I can find the five other fans who've filled out all the metadata for it, right? You know, and 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 that Music Brains and other services are kind of the brokers for that. Um, the geeks know how to build this kind of service. You know, I think the question is, how do we get uh, uh, the geeks and the labels and the musicians um, uh, working together on something, right? Doesn't mean they all have to agree on a common way to go, because often one of those parties will push harder than the other uh, for, forward. But uh, but somehow some some way for us to kind of work on something that that rises all boats, right? Um, I, we are starting to have a few questions, so we might as well dive mm -hmm. dive in directly into them. Uh, there's one here on the right. Hi, I want to say thank you, David, for building the David the database. Awesome, it works great. My daughter's a recording artist, um, but doesn't it doesn't it suppress the public need that the labels and the publishers will not let anyone have that database? Isn't it California Public Records Act suppression of information? And wouldn't the RIAA like to know about that? Because all of these innovators in the room need that database hmm. or a version of your database. Hmm. And artists and composers and musicians need to be paid. Labels need to be paid and publishers need to be paid. Hmm. So we have all this piracy still going on, all this legislature supposedly happening. I've been coming to these conferences for 10 years. This is the first time I've heard actually somebody has done the database. I believe you, I see my daughter's royalty reports, I know. So mm -hmm. it just seems to me that to, to help innovation, stop piracy, the labels and the publishers, you should speak to the RIAA about that since you have it, you've done it. Well, I, I mean actually every digital service provider has some version of this database. Yeah, but you're YouTube. So, so, so it's not, so it's, and, and I no longer work at YouTube, to, yeah, to, to be clear, so I don't, yeah. I don't control that database any longer. Yeah. Um, which makes it easier for me to talk about it, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, but, um, but so, so there are definitely, you know, there's hundreds of versions of this because every single service has to recreate this exact same thing every time. Um, but why uh, would it be know, why would know. it be confidential information? Under what reason? Why did the labels and the publishers say that would violate your contracts? I'm yeah, just fascinated. We, we were still wondering that ourselves. Fascinating honestly. bit of information there. What, what did they say? I think it, it, for for them, they, they they've spent millions of dollars developing their their own databases around this, and they feel that if they're going to give access to that to anybody, that they should be paid for that access. Um, and in the case of um, other versions of this same database, which exist at societies around the world, again, every society around the world has their own version of this database as well. So there's thousands of versions of this thing that exist out there. Uh, for them, it really is that uh, they feel this is the, the, the key to how they hold on to their monopoly for licensing a certain set of rights in their country. Um, so um, I, I think it really is just a, a matter of, of control and power. 
This is not unlike the transformation that certain parts of the software industry has gone through over the last 10, 10 20 years regarding you know, open source software and proprietary software, right? You, the people who've built big empires on proprietary software feel that that's their defensive com advantage, their competitive edge, right? And sometimes it does take the mammals kind of stepping in after the meteor is hit, you know, and, and uh, uh, saying, no, there's a different way to go. And it's not a, 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 a commercial versus, you know, <coughs> blue-haired nonprofit kind of uh, uh, tension, right? Turns out the blue-haired nonprofit guy actually is creating a lot of economic opportunity here for the musicians, for the new uh, uh, digital music providers, right? Uh, uh, and, and that... I think, I think we're now at a point in the software industry, at least, where people recognize they can use an open source web server to do a commercial website. And likewise, maybe this next wave of DSPs, as they're called, uh, will be able to work together on a common database for, each, for, for everyone's good to lift all boats. I really prefer the term metadata hippie. Metadata hippie. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, next question. How about up here? Uh, so... Content ID is links the label information and the publisher information, correct, for the synchronization? On the database in yeah. the back end. Now, does either Music Brains or Discogs deal with the publishing information? Because you were just talking about labels as opposed to no. publishers. Is there anybody, is there any open source equivalent for publishing information that you know of? No, not yet. Um, I mean, again, this is a problem of these databases exist. Um, I know lots of places where they exist, but nobody's willing to, to actually put this out in the public where people can play with it. Um, I was trying to actually hook something like that up, but uh, so far it's always, uh, you know, somebody says, hey, let's do this, you know, back to the hippies running through the field, with, like, let's do all these great things, right? And then one lawyer sneaks in and all of a sudden it's just well, all over with. What about like, um, you know, like, like the ASCAP title databases, you can anybody can go in there and search. So, is it possible to like go in and just snag all that data? Would that's not ASCAP's data? <laughs> uh, if you actually read the click through that you do before oh, you're allowed to oh, search for anything, okay. it says you're not allowed to do that. Would the artists yeah. themselves be incented? So, like, so if, if you went yeah. to Music Brains okay. and there and you saw for each release, you could mm -hmm. give the the publisher information yeah. for it. Would you enter that? Oh, of course. Yeah. And and I, I want, are I want, you an outlier in that, or do you think a lot uh, of? Uh, I think I think that? I mean a lot of my my peers. We all are our own publishers. Um, in in like the, but you know I have no idea what those numbers are. I would love to know. <laughs> Somebody who has, who works with a lot of content might know. <laughs> okay, let's let's go right here to the second row. Hi, my name is Feli Chako. I am an artist as well. And nice to see you again, Zoe. <laughs> I have a question for the ex-YouTube guy. <laughs> David. Um, David. <laughs> David, sorry. I am an independent artist, and my music genre is not the most popular one here. My music genre is world music, and I have my own record label, my own publishing company, and I am the artist. So one day, YouTube sends me a message saying, oh, you cannot use this account because you're not the the record label, you're not the publisher. I'm like, I am, I'm the artist, I'm the record label, I'm the <laughs> uh, publisher. So they forced me to create another account that uses Feli Chaco, which is my stage name. So I had to contact City Baby because they're the one who distributed my album mm -hmm. and ask them why is this? Because um, I am the record label, you know, you guys are distributing me. How come that YouTube is sending me a message saying that I'm not the record label? So basically, I had signed up for this other third-party service that will actually collect those metadata. But then I wasn't sure what kind of information they put on there. And I never got any money from it. And also, 
to Mr. Rob K. I have registered all my information through Grace Note, and I looked myself up. I saw that my music was classified under classical music. So, <laughs> so like I never, and I'm also signed up with uh, Sound Exchange. So, my information, my music is out there on Pandora online on YouTube, but I never get anything from it. So, how can I get help from here? Thank you. Well, can I take part of that at least? So, um, so I think that there is a fundamental problem here for when, when you're trying to run a DSP, and I, and I think this would be true not just for for YouTube, but but you know, Rhapsody, RDO, Spotify, on down the list, which is, <laughs> it's very difficult to, to build a system that scales out to, uh, to manage the interaction directly with, with artists. So, so it's much easier to, to deal with the aggregation points of labels, because they bring hundreds or thousands of artists together. Well, I understand that you, if, when, but from a DSP's perspective, if, you, if the label is you, just you, that's not a massive aggregation. That the aggregation that is a lot that scales a lot better for them is dealing with with bigger entities. And so, so you know, the 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 result is that they really try and push smaller artists over or, or independent artists through the pipes that are well established with CD Baby and others. But I think as we were talking about this whole thing, but as we were prepping for it, I think one of the things that that could be a really useful building block here in, in how we get to a more open database is uh, a system for really authenticating artists and, and making allowing them to really register and make it clear who they are and how they should be paid and, and, and what their real identity is. Um, and so that then as they come in and they claim their works across all these different services, that it becomes something, because that's a huge part of the problem is, is you know, at, at YouTube, we had you know 500 people that showed up every day saying they were Bruce Springsteen, uh, because they could see a big pot of money being generated by his works. And so, you know, if you're trying to build sort of systems that people can just log into without you without ever meeting them, it's it's significantly difficult to weed those out. And so that's why the simplest route is to just go deal with Universal instead. And so, uh, so this is this. Unfortunately, this is a problem not only for the small artists, this is also a problem on a bigger scale. Uh, so this story is uh, relayed to me by uh, Shoshana Zisk, uh, the wife of Brian Zisk. And uh, she's an entertainment lawyer, and uh, she, at one point uh, she was working for George Clinton. And uh, this was the year that uh, Atomic Dog was in three separate movies. And uh, so she basically was tasked with, like, we haven't gotten any money for Atomic Dog. So she went to the label and said, hey, Atomic Dog, where's our money? And they said, oh, it hasn't recouped yet. And she said, really? And then she started making noise. And magically, out of the middle of nowhere, a six-figure check appeared. Right? Where was that six-figure check before somebody actually started poking this? Right? Shouldn't that check have appeared at some point, way before it became a six-figure check? So it's not only you that's having this, this problem. Two other things I'd add to this. One is, I think there's, there is a question there about what's the interface between the, the, the musicians, especially those who want to present themselves and represent themselves, be their own label, their own agent, and that sort of thing, and these, these databases like Music Brains or, or Discogs. And I think there's the real possibility for what I'd call, you know, these, the, 
the companies that are starting to be agents of the artists, like Eventful or Bandcamp or others, you know, to kind of broker, be that, that kind of middle ground between these two. Maybe there's one that emerges to help you categorize and organize the, the, the world of your music out there and make sure that you're properly represented in all these databases. Uh, okay. I, I signed up with SongTrack. I actually canceled my account with uh, ASCAP because I thought I was too small for them. So I signed up with SongTrust. Right. So, so yeah. somebody like that could work with Music Brain, Discogs, others to represent it. Uh, the second thing is, you know, it'd be great to see some of the places like Pandora, Last.fm, etc. publish lists of the songs that they play with the metadata tags and the number of times played. That would bring a level of transparency to to that, so that the artist could know. Wow, my, you know, uh, like, like Zoe said, I don't even know how often my stuff is played on Pandora. We could build the systems to do this. It wouldn't be that hard. It's not putting a man on the moon, right? And that would uh, be something that could probably make the music industry fairer for for everybody. Um, uh, let's go to the gentleman in the EFF T-shirt in the uh, halfway back. <laughs> uh, uh, wait for wait for the mic, just so that the the online crowd can hear. Uh, this goes actually back to uh, a few minutes ago when you guys were talking about the publishing database, which is something, of course, that I think is you know probably one of the single most useful things that could be created for licensing online stuff. And the, the discussion was about the the, um, the databases over at uh, ASCAP and BMI. And actually, I would just throw this out there. It's not, not a question so much. It's just I happen to be familiar with the consent decrees. And under those consent decrees with ASCAP and BMI and the, and the DOJ, they actually have to make that information available. And I believe even once a year they have to you know aside from you go into the ace search which is a great you know it's a great tool if you're looking for a few songs uh it's not useful if you're looking for thousands of songs mm -hmm. or, or more but i believe that under the consent decrees you actually have they have to make those lists available like in a book form or even a cd form and hand it to you on a yearly basis is there anyone from ASCAP or bmi in the audience yeah. uh I'm Bill Thomas. I was chief of staff of ASCAP. I was there for 14 years, and I don't work there anymore either, so I can say anything. <laughs> uh, and Whitney and I are good friends. The last time I checked, and I've been gone for several years, yes, it was required under the DOJ, but the dodge was you could come into the office and look in a oh. book with thousands and upon thousands of, of titles. <laughs> keep, keep in mind, I'm not defending ASCAP or, or, or BMI or CSAC for that matter because I want to throw all three PROs into the mix. They have worked very, very hard for decades to protect this metadata. They, they're not going to roll over. The, you know, I, I totally support what the people on the panel are saying, but these organizations are effectively an oligopoly. They're not a true monopoly. They're going to do everything they can to protect that data. That's what they sell. So it's beyond foot dragging or, or anything like that. They're really going to fight every, every step of the way. I think you can still go into the office and look in a giant series of ledgers. But uh, you know the, I the idea that they would do this for the public good is probably a stretch at, at a minimum <laughs> so Zoe yes, Bill and I are good friends <laughs> and we remain so to this day but you know I and I, I agree with with uh, with Bill is that absolutely ASCAP and BMI do drag their feet on this stuff and that's why they build the system in the way they do for the online checks it makes it really kind of impossible to sort of farm that stuff out even if it were in theory doable you know from a from a technical standpoint or you know uh, they make it very difficult, and I and I certainly would expect them, and I know that they have, you know, they totally drag their feet on doing this stuff. Uh, 
My point is, is that, you know, they have a consent decree with the Department of Justice. It's not really up to them how, you know, how they deal with this. If somebody were really interested in this, and I've never heard of anybody really pushing this issue big, not to say that it hasn't been done, but I've never heard of it, is that if someone were to go with these guys and say, this is what the consent decree says, give it to me, or my next call is a DOJ, and see what they say, I don't know. Maybe you get the same result, but maybe you don't. Do you, have any, but, well, do you have any buddies at the DOJ you like to hook me up with? Well, uh, before we start getting hey, you know, knives out and, and, <laughs> and such, you know, there's, there's, in, uh, there's the carrot and there's the stick, right? And, and you know, the stick might be what we were talking about, but is there, is there a way to actually explain that this is to the advantage of these organizations to put this out? You know, I mean, I mean Zoe, when you think about the right societies, right, they're supposed to be your advocates in a way. Yeah. They're supposed to be the ones helping right. the artists, right? Uh, and maybe they, they historically haven't. Maybe they, they're, they haven't been financially incented mm -hmm. to. But is there hope here? Do you think that, that <laughs> you know, they could be brought over? Or is there a different way for them to rethink their role? Well, um, I mean, in my experience so far with my dealings with ASCAP, who I am a member of so that I can get my television royalties, the only way that I've been able to get paid is by publicly shaming them. <laughs> so as soon as I make any public comments about ASCAP, I get a phone call the following day, and suddenly there's some money for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> as, an, as an example, though, from another industry, Microsoft is now one of the top ten contributors to the Linux kernel, right? And it was because you know, 15 years after that thing, that revolution started, if you want to call it that, they realized that coexistence with Linux and making their software not run on Linux, but at least be able to talk to, you know, and be running the same virtual machine kind of system as, actually had an advantage to them, right? Mm -hmm. And I do, I have seen companies get past their bad cells, mm -hmm. you know, and get over their bad cells, and, and, and actually uh, evolve as the things evolve, but it does sometimes take the disruptive mm -hmm. players underneath kind of showing a better mm -hmm. way forward to, to I, do it. I think that the main thing is just if there was some more transparency about things like, for example, um, like a few weeks ago, ASCAP announced that they were going to start uh, giving licenses for sort of like small web rights. You know that you could do small stream rights. It's two hundred forty dollars. You can get a license from ASCAP, and um, like, I don't. Is that really? Um, <laughs> how am I going to know? <laughs> like, I don't totally trust them to to sort of like you know take a license from someone and then suddenly it's going to go bing in my account and. Um, if, if, it, if it's a little more transparent, I might I might trust them, but I don't think it is. <laughs> uh, let's take a, a question in the purple jacket in the middle right there. And wait, wait, wait for the mic just so that we can get it onto the podcast. It seems to me when I listen to discussions from basically technology people and database people, uh, even if they're music sympathizers or musicians themselves, I hear a lot of conditional perfect tense if things could be, should be, would be better if a lot of that kind of thing when, as Whitney pointed out and, and uh, David pointed out, uh, you're dealing with a competitive bunch of industries who control information as their very core mission. That is their competitive advantage. And historically, the only way that you beat that is through government action or competition. And so the only leverage that the technology people have is creating alternatives. But as you can see, even with the case of CDDV and Gracenote, those get co-opted as well because those people have more money. And so the politics of this seems to me the real sticking point. What are you going to do about it? Well, actually, Zoe uh, at the last San Francisco Music Tech Summit said something that really resonated with me. And she said, whenever I, en I encounter a closed door, I'll just build a new building. 
right? This is like nobody's ever put my entire life's philosophy in in such a pithy kind of way. So that's what we need to do, and I think that's what this panel is all about. Like, you know, what options can we build? Like, how what databases can we build? What things? What interoperable technologies can we build to actually fix these problems? I would also say, like, I usually really, um, I don't like attending music conferences. Um, I like attending tech conferences because everybody's always an optimist. Like, oh, this is the problem with the present, and let's see how we can change it and make the future better. Like, that's to me, like, the definition of a technologist. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, th I think that's good. <laughs> I, I would also add that I, I feel like the economics behind this have, have really, have changed a lot. And so, when we first, when I personally first had these debates with labels and publishers 13 years ago, the, uh, the the revenue being generated by digital distribution was was a rounding error for them, and so they could say, "I'm not going to help create this in any shape or form. Uh, you, you write me a check, and and you you can have some music." But uh, but at this point, the digital has become a major part of how they make money. CD sales are dramatically down, and and these trends continue. So uh, I think that the challenges that we're talking about are are, are challenges that. Are, are dampening or, or damaging the growth of, of new digital models. Um, the fact that you know a, a service like Rhapsody only exists in like three countries at this point, even though it's been around for, for 12 years, is because of these licensing issues. And that if they um, if they want their pie to continue to grow, and this is really the this is the upward trending line for them. Um, when, when they look at their sales reports. Uh, the other lines are down. And so uh, if they want to steepen the curve on that and really make it grow, the, these are the sorts of initiatives that they're going to have to wrap their head around. So, so the, the politics are different depending on, on which entity you're talking about. So uh, I think the, the, the incentive is not there really on the, on, the, on the PRO side of the equation. But I feel like you know, the, the publishers are increasingly frustrated with with the, the the service that they're getting from PROs and they're moving towards a direct licensing model more and more and, and that direct licensing model is going to require a more open database so that people can figure out how do I get that direct license with that publisher okay I, I'd like to go to um, the guy in the orange in the front I'm Tom Murphy from the SF chapter of the Recording Academy Last year, they announced a, a new credits initiative recognizing that as the music industry is shifting to digital, the concept of credits is beyond just this kind of nerdy metadata curator thing, that this is actually Important. our entire industry, that if you don't have a CD or a booklet or a, an album, you don't know what happened. You don't know who created it, let alone what other things they did and all the beautiful consumer experiences. And then David, as you so, so brightly mentioned that there are thousands of databases of musical works depending on whether you're a publisher or a label or an artist or a store or an online service. And so recognizing that at this moment in time, there are multiple dimensions of this concept of a unified database and there are lots of people with lots of business interests to defend and, and different technology platforms that they support, where do we start? One thing in common that everybody can sign up for one little piece. Do you have any thoughts of something in common as a starting point that's still gonna take decades before we kind of get there? I think my answer to that is uh, what David had already mentioned. 
a database and a service where artists can be authenticated so that we can actually wipe the, uh, you know, call it the Bruce Springsteen problem off the face of the planet. I mean, it's still a difficult problem because anytime that there's money to be had, you're going to have a huge line of fraudsters lining up to get that money. So this is a very, very difficult problem to have. But once you actually have something like this, one of the things I would like to see is uh, a music player where um, all of my stuff is tagged with Music Brains ID, so I know exactly what music I'm playing. So I'd like my player to actually record everything for a month, and at the end of the month, I want to send out 20 bucks and just donate it to the artists, right? I can make one macro payment to this new organization, and I can send the census information as far as everything that I've played, and I want that 20 bucks to get divvied up like two cents into this guy, two cents into her, her account, and two cents over there um, that would be fantastic I think that would be a great starting point for actually seeing some money uh, flow into artists hands and it enables in a whole suite of other kinds of uh, abilities to uh, to pay people and to identify people which is really a very big problem right now just finding people who is responsible for this piece of uh, you know, um, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think there's a lot of people that do this uh, in the end, and they do it through the labels, right? But uh, again, we're, we're finding that the labels are closed, and it's their proprietary the data. Great, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, other responses from the panel to that, that question? What, what's the one thing that we could do uh, to the most minimal, minimum viable product, I guess, in this space? <laughs> well, I, I, I think I'd like to make the argument that we are actually already on a continuum of, of product releases around this, you know, using the, the, the agile metaphor. Um, so, so really, I mean, when, when I first started dealing with, with record labels, when, when they would license a catalog to us, they would just send a, they would ship a pallet of CDs and, and the license was, if it's on the pallet, it's licensed. And, and, and you know, so, so now, I mean, 13 years later, everything comes through, um, you know, it, it's sent over the internet, everything's pre-digitized, there's a well thought out schema that describes what the work is, and there's all sorts of flags that, that describe in, in much greater detail exactly what the grant of license is for that specific work. Um, and so, um, so I don't think the situation is quite as dire as, as maybe we made, made it sound, that, that we actually are moving in this direction. Where where all the services have, you know, now with, with DDEX and things like that, there's really increasingly a lingua franca on how to communicate these concepts back and forth. Um, and increasingly, you know, uh, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have said that there are thousands of these databases. Today there are, so that's good news because now we can start to interconnect those databases and have them communicate with each other, and and that information grows. I, I would I would say that I would. Um, this is absolutely probably not feasible, but in uh, I would like to be able to extend the system that I use on a regular basis with the YouTube content ID, um, which for the record makes more money for me on a monthly basis than Spotify. So that um, I would like to be able to extend that to, you know, what if you could do it on a file sharing site? So like the same kind of system that could say like, okay, this is the music that's being shared check, 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 you know, here's the royalties for that. So if there was some way, I think, to, to solve that problem for um, artists, I think we could get a step towards solving some of our um, arguments, <laughs> just like moving forward a little bit. <laughs> sharing on a file sharing site? <laughs> you know, like sh share the advertising revenue, essentially. Kevin, um, any thoughts? Yeah, so I, I think this is a very big problem in um, 
baby steps are the right way to go. Um, one, one idea that I think that's doable is just some way to link these various databases together. Um, just because things like Discogs and Music Brains and all these other databases exist for their own unique reasons and trying to create one database that's going to satisfy all those needs is just looks like an impossible project to me. So I, I think a good way forward would be some way to consistently identify artists and recordings across various databases. Okay, it's like a question in the back. Uh, uh, no, the, I'm sorry, the, the woman with the darker hair. Thanks. I don't know if you've heard of TuneSat. Yes. The frequency identification, uh, anal well, I guess it's frequency analyzing to identify musical works in any type of format, even background at a football game. From what I understand, it's it's very effective, and you can, as a service, it can provide you with data of exactly where your music is being performed digitally. But from what I understand, ASCAP doesn't accept the information that people can curate from that service as any type of you know valid um, calculation of of the use of the music. Any thoughts on that? Well, I thought ASCAP had its own system that did exactly that. But well, I don't they know may they have one, do. but they don't allow me to use it. Uh, well, of course, <laughs> from, yeah, it's a you know, common common theme, right? But uh, you know what you're describing is uh, acoustic fingerprinting, and uh, there are so many different versions of this. There's a lot of people playing with it, and uh, I know that's also at the heart of uh, what YouTube does to identify its content, mm -hmm. right? Can you speak to that. Yeah, that's right. So, I mean, I think <coughs> that the, I think what we're trying to get at is is so that's a means for for I for identifying what something is but behind that we still need a database that richly describes that and gives you pointers to who you can seek the licenses for if you wanted to license that work to help uh, identify their their performances and what? is there any you know lobbying group or any group that could help put pressure on them to to you know allow the the artist or management of artists to to offer you know this information in order to help collect due royalties right I guess I guess the real question is ASCAP doesn't feel like it, the artists in the room and maybe even the labels perhaps don't feel like ASCAP represents their interest it's not really an industry association um, it's it's a it's a it's a legitimized kind of uh, monopoly really um, but uh, but but uh, but right, right, and it, and it almost feels like it because the artists receive checks from them, right? But it, it's a, it's kind of a dysfunctional relationship. But is there hope? And uh, maybe our former ASCAP <laughs> chief of staff has a quick comment on that. <laughs> just real quick, just real quickly, a ASCAP owns a competing company, uh, which you know is is owned and operated by its members. So they're not going to do anything with TuneSat. They they own a completely separate company that provides a similar acoustic uh, fingerprinting technology. Well, and in the interest of uh, other houses, AcoustID. Mm -hmm. This is something I've seen pop up on Music Brains recently. Are, we, are, are you building an alternative acoustic fingerprinting database? Actually, one of our contributors, Lucas Lelinsky, who is also one of the people that was pushing around the pieces of paper in London many years ago with us, uh, he built AcoustID, which is a file-based, it's not a stream-based, so file-based uh, acoustic fingerprinting service. It's completely open source, and uh, we've all rallied around it and uh, you know pushed a lot of people to help us push a bunch of content through it. Internet Archive, for instance, is pushing all of their audio content through it. So we have an open source implementation from this, but I really have to actually stress that this is for 
files, not necessarily for uh, for video streams and other things. You couldn't just uh, hold this up, um, um, you know, Soundhound style, Muse style, hold up the phone uh, to the speaker and identify it. You have to have a complete file for the system to work. Um, but I do know that there's other companies that are also working on this, but I'm not actually aware of anybody that's really doing a good job of stream identification. There is a echo print from the uh, Echo Nest, um, but I've heard mixed reviews how well that works. Um, so we're really focused on, on files. So Acoustic ID is it for us. I think we have time for one more good question. Hello, I'm, I'm Christine. This might be a slightly naive question, but to piggyback off of what Stephen said, if competition really is the only way um, to deal with the PROs and that's how we have BMI and that's how we have CSAC as people getting frustrated and creating their own. What's keeping something like Disog or Music Brain to taking a PRO, PRO arm and saying, if you want a transparent option, you know, come to us? I'd like that. I'd really, really absolutely love that. Uh, one that's international, works across boundaries, I think would be lovely. The problem is you need somebody like a Kevin or Zoe, or somebody who's really engaged, who's willing to make this probably their life's work, but I'm already busy with my life's work, so it's, there's only so much that we can do. If you know anybody that's engaged to that level that would want to really do this and take this on, I think there's plenty of support from all around the community, certainly on these tables here, that would love to help this person do this, but we really need a champion to drive this particular thing forward. <laughs> hmm? Jeff Price? <laughs> so... I think this is the most important panel here. I'm sorry I missed most of it. I'm really looking forward to it, to hearing it. I will say there's so many people behind it that the real trick is if we could come up with a spec and build it. I pitched, I threw out to a funder, I don't know, a million bucks, and they're like, wow, sounds great. So a lot really depends on if the spec's there, because if we know what we want to build, we can build it reasonably. And if we don't, people are going to spend $40 million again and again, and we're not going to get anywhere. So, and I hate to walk in like this because I don't know what's going on. But, uh, <laughs> but I'm thrilled for this conversation. I want it to continue. We've even got some more time for it to continue. They're going to whip out some beers in there if people want to grab them and come back we, in we, and we, keep we, it up. We need a wiki so that we can keep talking about that afterwards. Yeah. So who's going to do that? <laughs> <laughs> not it. <laughs> Could happen. I mean, I'm happy to continue this conversation next time and time again until we, we friggin' make it happen. So now back to people who've actually been here and can make it work. So thank you. And, you know, we're about out of time, so any last thoughts, a sentence or two from each? Kevin? Or I think it's a good start. We've got some, uh, some important people here who, who, are, uh, who have some interest in making this happen. Mm -hmm. I guess I would say that uh, if this can really happen, I think it can unlock a, a lot of revenue that can go back to artists and continue to fund the, the creation of new music, which is uh, something I want to hear. Mm -hmm. Ditto. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I like to stress that uh, you know we've got a great example in both Music Brains and Discogs for independent databases that are self-funded and uh, functioning, and we need more of these, more specialized databases that know how to interact and to get this job done. So we don't have to actually bother BMI or ASCAP anymore. It's like we can just do this ourselves. So let's go build this punk rock. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thank